It is so. Talk of the town on 1290 CJBK. It's also after the 11 o'clock news on Wednesdays. And you know what that means? It's left, right, and center. With Josh Lummer on the left, Robert Metz on the right, and yours truly somewhere in the middle, trying valiantly to contribute something to the conversation. Welcome to the show, guys. Morning, Jim. Morning. Good to have you here, as always. Um, I was hoping today we could maybe take a look at the Latimer case. Um, not so much necessarily about uh, whether what he did was right or wrong, but what it means for us as a society, because I think there are a number of elements to this. Uh, here we have a situation where we had uh, a mandatory sentence, the uh, no, supposedly no discretion by the judge. Uh, jury found him guilty. Uh, jury did indicate that in their wisdom, and they were the 12 good men and women and true, who sat there through all the evidence, heard all the presentations, and in their considered judgment, uh, he should have served a year for this crime. Um, of course, he was convicted, and they did not have the opportunity or the option of doing that. Uh, sentenced to uh, minimum, tw 25 years to life, uh, minimum 10 years to, for parole, which most people looked at and said, well, he's got a 10-year sentence. Uh, an appeal to the, uh, to the uh, Charter of Rights and Freedoms, of course. Uh, a very rare appeal and successful. The judge said, yes, I'm going to set aside this mandatory sentence uh, in favor of what I believe to be an appropriate sentence, and certainly uh, um, he doubled what the jury had said, but still two years less a day, and he'll be out in, the, in a number of months. I'm just wondering, and I'm not sure that you guys necessarily would be on opposite sides of this, I don't know, but I'm, I'd like to get your thoughts on it. And Bob Metz, let's start with you. What did you think of this whole process? The process or, or the decision? Well, the, I guess I guess the whole process, the fact that we went through a whole bunch of uh, of legalistic hoops here that we don't usually see in it. I mean, well, he was convicted, normally convicted of second-degree murder, off you go, thanks for coming out. Maybe appeal it, maybe not, but you don't go to the charter. Th this is very much like something we discussed a week or two ago when we were talking about the British nanny case down, down in the States. Mm -hmm. And... Um, we're sitting here with, again with a with a justice system. I think that isn't flexible enough to deal with uh, the individuality of certain cases. And as as we said, like there's no way we, we should we should be treating a person like Latimer the way that we would treat uh, a mass murderer. It's just not the same kind of thing. And yet our sentencing doesn't seem to reflect this difference. And yet Latimer's only he's he's ultimately got two years less a day. So in that sense, the system did reflect it, didn't it? Exactly. And and the irony of it was though that the part of the system worked was that part of it which which uh, sort of challenges itself. The jury system, you know, the jury is saying here, no, we think this law is incorrect. This is what we recommend. The judge goes out on a limb, says the same thing. Uh, certainly, there's been a precedent set, and I don't think we're going to hear the end of it. Already, there are other interest groups that want to. Uh, launch challenges to it and and uh, launch appeals, which I'm quite uh, you know a little disturbed about because I don't think they really have the status to do that. I think if anyone does, it should be someone intimately involved with the case. Jeff Schlemmer, from your perspective, what do you think of all of this uh, hoop jumping, hoop through jumping, <laughs> whatever we <laughs> well, call it? Well, I think that it, it, it illustrates that this is an issue that we need to come to grips with as a society. There was a difference between the law and what I think the the general public thought should be the law. And in this case, they were able to find a loophole, basically, to sort of save the situation, um, depending on how you look on the, at the outcome. But they were able to find a way of essentially doing basically what the jury suggested. Um, but it was a close-run thing, and it could still be overturned on appeal because the loophole they used is a pretty little one, and uh, it may not work out. But I think that it, it raises the question of the need for a broader dialogue about uh, how we're dealing with um, cases, uh, another Latimer case specifically wasn't dealing with a terminal illness, but dealing with a situation where it appeared to be accepted that uh, Bob Latimer, the father, uh, just 
felt that his daughter was in sort of unbearable pain, and it's a question of how do you cope with that. Uh, and we're seeing a variety of cases over the last two years that have raised this issue. The Sue Rodriguez case a couple of years mm-hmm. ago in, in uh, British Columbia, where Sven Robinson, uh, a NDP member of parliament, actually helped her to kill herself. Um, we've seen Dr. Kravorkian in the States, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Death, uh, assisting suicide all over the place. Um, we also have the uh, doctor in Halifax who was charged last year with murder in relation to um, to the death of a uh, of a patient, a terminally ill patient. And uh, it's clear that, well, for one thing, charging her with murder was a charge that was never designed for that kind of a circumstance. And have they not modified? Uh, she not have they not recharged her? Yeah, yeah. Are, yeah. Are we talking about the same kind of <coughs> cases though? Because I think in all those cases, and even when you talk about a guy like Jack Kavorkian, uh, Kavorkian, is that the name? Um, that they're dealing with people who consent to want to die. And I think one of the big issues here was we're dealing with a child, someone who was incapable of granting consent. And, yeah, right. and I think that throws th- this particular case and others like it into a totally different realm. And it's a very, very gray area we start getting into when we try to define, uh, you know, the justice in a, in a particular action. Um, Latimer has been, giving a, a, been given a lighter sentence, you know, because basically people are assuming he acted out of some sense of altruism or out of some real deep sense of caring for another person. I wonder if they would be looking at it different if they really felt that he op- operated out of some sort of legitimate self-interest. Maybe it was more than he and his family could bear. Well, do either uh, of you do either of you disagree with the ju- the, uh, the 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 two years less a day? I'm not in nope. a position to judge for starters. I wasn't there to see all the, the the intimate evidence, and so I have to place a great deal of faith in that jury that ju- was in the, the room. The jury suggested one year. Yes. So mm-hmm. I have to say, well. They think that there must be some overwhelming evidence. Jeff Schlemmer, what about you? What do you well, think? this is one of those cases where it's interesting that there was a jury, and it's interesting how juries fit into the justice system. I, I was reminded I was talking with a, uh, a senior police officer uh, recently, not not the police chief, but somebody else, who said if he had his way, he would get rid of juries altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, the juries uh, are just too uncertain as far as what they're going to do, and I hear that all the time from lawyers as well. And uh, in civil cases now, juries are just about gone. But in this case, it seems to me that the jury had the right idea. You know, it's one of those cases where the uh, 12 citizens, good and true, uh, collectively do come to a decision that mirrors that of society uh, as a whole. Um, But I agree with what Bob says, that the consent is a big difference in this case from the other one. Although, when you're dealing with with kids, you know, consent is given by parents as a a legal uh, reality. Um, What I would hate to see is a situation where a decision that needs to get made doesn't get made because the person who, the only person who could consent to it wasn't able to to participate in that decision. One of the options that's been discussed about this is uh, two potential changes. Uh, One of them is to create a new charge of third-degree murder that would deal specifically with third degree burns why not third degree murder (laughs) this kind of situation and the other is simply to remove the uh, mandatory minimum and and say you know let's give the flexibility back to the judges to to react more appropriately it's my understanding and jeff maybe you can or even bob maybe you can uh not even bob what am i saying jeff or bob perhaps either one of you can respond um my understanding is that came in with the uh, uh the elimination of capital punishment and they wanted to ensure that that this was still that the Canadian public still saw that the government was treating this seriously. So minimum ten years for second degree murder. Uh, do either of you have a preference? To, do we need a third uh, degree not, murder charge? I'm not sure that this that this um, decision by the jury and judge necessitates either of those options. Um, this may be a precedent in and of itself. In order, like this is it. This is saying 
that a jury can override the system in a certain way. If this, if this uh, decision sticks, we don't have to worry about minimums and all the rest of it. We already went past that point. Mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's not an issue anymore. So that's why I'm very curious to see what will happen in terms of how the courts will ultimately respond to any challenges that may arise at this. But it, uh, to me, the whole tragedy in it is that you've got this guy, Latimer, in the middle of the whole thing who's being used as the, the guinea pig for the justice system, and, and uh, he's certainly facing a future of uncertainty. He on, the other, on the other yeah. hand, though, he did end his daughter's life. Yes, I mean, did. I think he has to expect to face some kind of uncertainty. He did. He faced the judge and jury. That's the process that he'd have to be go going through. And no matter who did this to anybody, I mean, uh, that's the purpose of a justice system. Even if you kill in self-defense, if somebody breaks into your home, you may be perfectly justified, but you still have to go before a judge and jury so that they can determine that you were justified. Now, are we letting the system off the hook, though, if we say that, um, okay, in this case, it worked. There was an appeal to the charter, and assuming it isn't appealed and overturned, and for the sake of our discussion, let's mm -hmm. assume that it, that it won't be, or it hasn't been yet anyway. Um, and we can say, with some justification, yes, the system worked. I mean, uh, the, uh, the appropriate punishment was meted out. If by appropriate we mean something that, that we tend to think the general public accepted, certainly the jury, I think, was much more amenable to this than to the 10-year one. Um, but does that not, and I ask you, uh, Judge Schlemmer, to kick it off here, you being a lawyer, does this not bring the whole system into a certain amount of disrepute? Here's the, here are laws that we have in the books uh, that have been designed for whatever purpose, and now we're coming along saying, well, yeah, they're okay, but... Well, I think we were, uh, what we're in situations where we lucked out that basically uh, this all happened sort of uh, helter-skelter randomly by accident, as Bob said. Somebody has to be the guinea pig before we get into an examination of these issues. Uh, they take a huge risk. Uh, it may work out or it may not. Uh, often things don't work out. But uh, I would say that the system, uh, the way the system works is that there are some, there are some tiny, tiny little fail-safes, if you like, that may or may not work. But the big problem is that on a tough question like assisted suicide uh, or uh, euthanasia, we need to be thinking about what the way we want to handle this. We can't handle it just sort of on an ad hoc basis. A case comes along and we sort of see how things go. Uh, we need to get ahead of this and, and have the politicians looking at you know, are we satisfied with the way things are? Should we be more sophisticated about the way we uh, break down the different kinds of offenses? As Bob says, you know, maybe a third-degree murder. Maybe they should be uh, getting a lot more specific about how doctors are handling these things. I, I was at a uh, policy conference, uh, liberal federal policy conference, uh, I guess it would be two years ago, no, a year ago. And uh, at that time, there was a nurse from Kitchener who spoke about uh, um, one of the resolutions was to... to um, repeal the criminal code provision. Right now, there's a criminal code section that makes it an offense to help someone else kill themselves. And she said hospitals are in trouble with that all the time, and mm -hmm. it's the great uh, dirty lie, you know, the fact that nobody inquires of it, but if they did, they'd find that realistically there are extraordinarily difficult decisions made every day in hospitals, and there are things that some people would consider to be helping someone to expire. You know, the difference between withdrawing supports versus uh, uh, not providing uh, heroic measures to, to save them, uh, versus what medications you give them, knowing that these things may shorten their lives, for instance, but may give them some, some rest. Um, and she spoke extremely passionately about this, saying, you know, until you've been in that situation of making those kinds of decisions, you have no idea what it's like. And uh, as a result of that, the, the Liberal Party uh, passed a resolution calling for the repeal of that criminal code provision and saying it shouldn't be a criminal code offense to uh, assist in a suicide. Let me ask you a question. The Liberal Party is the ruling party in the, in the country. Why, haven't, why hasn't that been implemented? Uh, well, I understand that about, they, they tell me that about 80% of uh, liberal policy ends up being uh, government policy. Uh, 
But I think that I think that that's an indication that the government should be taking this seriously. And as these cases come along, the government starts is going to have to start looking at it. And whether they strike a royal commission or something, they got to get serious about. There's a big problem out here. We're seeing it pop up in different areas. We've got the the manslaughter charge going on in Vancouver right now. We've got Sven Robinson on the on the left coast uh, advocating uh, around this. Uh, clearly, the government is going to have to do something about it, and there should be laws specifically aimed at this problem after having thought about it. It shouldn't happen randomly. Wh exactly which problem, though, are we focusing on? I kind of see two. I see the one on the issue of people who, are, who share the status of Latimer's child, who cannot speak for themselves, mm -hmm. who have no means of consent. Uh, and then there's the other issue, I think, a broader issue. I certainly believe in the right to life, but I also mean that includes that you choose if you have to die, you know, and... It and wasn't I mean, that long ago, it was uh, illegal to commit suicide. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and then you always wonder, well, what's the sentence for that? Well, it's not yet, you know? <laughs> That's where you run into that contradiction when you're talking about life itself, and there's just no, you know, you can't recoup a lost life. It's not like property or anything else, so it's it's a very very uh you know touchy area when you get into it emotionally particularly this is talk of the town on 1290 cjbk left right and center our regular wednesday feature in the 11 o'clock hour robert metz and jeff schlemmer are my guests as they are each and every week and we welcome your calls too if you've got something you'd like to add to the discussion if you've got a question or a comment please feel free to give us a call at 643-1290 or star 1290 on the cantel cellular network uh, we are talking this morning about uh, the latimer case and particularly on its implications for our legal system here um, let, let me ask both of you gentlemen, too. I, I heard someone say this morning on, on uh, I don't know what news, it was some newscast, and they, had, uh, they were quoting a judge who said that, that this really probably would not be a precedent in the classic sense, that, that when you get a precedent law, um, uh, is it case law, Jeff, is that what they call that? Yep, stare decisis is the Latin term that uh, if a judge does something, other judges are supposed to do the same thing. Okay, um, and he said he thought it was highly unlikely that we would ever even see a challenge to this again because usually it's a manslaughter charge, not a murder charge. Well, in fact, the trial judge said things like that, and he tried to characterize his decision saying this is an extremely unique situation. It should not be a precedent for subsequent cases. Um, and part of the reason for that is that judges are, are supposed to do that. They're judges... As we know, judges never make law. They simply discover law. <laughs> okay. so, Do you want to explain that one for our listeners? <laughs> uh, so anyway, the, the, the idea is that judges aren't supposed to make new laws. So what they always do is try and frame their decisions as narrowly as they possibly can. And they always say, this is an extremely unusual situation. They'll never arise again and should not be treated as a precedent. Can they actually say that? Can they say uh, and somehow put it in writing that this is not a precedent, this particular case, that we've made this an exception and that's it? Well, they always say it. It's, just, it's not binding, though. You know, the next judge who comes along who's looking for guidance may say, well, that other guy did it and he got away with it. So, you know, yeah, I guess like you can't, you can't just make it go away. No, and the other thing, of course, is this is a trial judge, and uh, it's generally Supreme Court of Canada decisions that are the, you know, the precedent cases. Um, now, this may still work its way up there, but ideally the Supreme Court of Canada are the only ones who are, who are discovering really, really new law. Uh, the trial judges are supposed to be just falling in line behind previous cases. Uh, but they certainly try and frame it as narrowly as they can, and they said in this case, this is extremely unusual, don't try this at home. This shouldn't be a license for other people to go out and start doing things. 643-1290 is the telephone number, star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular. It's left, right, and center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and we've got the lines open if you'd like to join us. We've got Tom with us with a comment. Good morning, Tom. morning, Jim. How you doing? Fine, thanks. Good. Um, I, I just got into the car, so I don't know what comments have been made already with regard to the Latimer case. 
But it seems to me that all of everything that I've read about the case, um, people who have disabilities and so forth are very much against any special treatment for Mr. Latimer, and everyone else seems to be very much in favor of that. My own feeling is that I don't think that laws should be changed or altered. I think if you, um, if, if Mr. Latimer felt very strongly that what he did is what he had to do, then I think the other side of that coin is he then takes the responsibility knowing what the consequences will be. Well, didn't he actually do that by be going into a courtroom? He cannot predict the results of the judge's decision or the jury. That's out of his hands. That's the whole point. No, no, but, the, but I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is that it seems to be being considered as a special case, and I think that the law of the land is there to protect everyone. And my own feeling is that if you take the law into your own, in, into your own hands or go contrary to the law for whatever good or just reasons you may have, uh, then you must also expect to, fa to face the full extent of the law at the other side. And that, that's true, and, and he did do that. Of course, he admitted it right away. There was never a secret about it or anything, and he went into it knowing that he could be in jail the rest of his life. I guess what, what this t does for me is it raises an issue of thinking, should we be looking at this? It's like, yeah, he took the risk, and uh, you know, he went into it with his eyes wide open, so he can't expect any mercy from anybody. But as a parent myself, I can visit, envisage scenarios where I would break a law in a second if it was going to help my kid in some desperate situation. No question, situation. And, and as a parent myself, I feel the same way. Yeah. Um, so I'm sort of sympathetic to him in that respect but uh, but sure he knew exactly what he was getting into well i don't think i don't think there's a precedent being set here that people can avoid the law or avoid consequences i think we're just acknowledging that the consequences to certain actions for certain reasons can be different um tom if i were to take your ar your argument to its full extent you're just basically saying that the law is supreme and and issues of justice and morality come secondary I think, yes, and, and the other thing... Is that, is that what you're saying, and, and, and is that what you agree with? Uh, more or less. What, what, I guess what I'm coming, where I'm coming from... So if a law is immoral, we should still support it? No, no. What, what I'm saying to you is that I went to a, a presentation given by a gentleman who uh, has muscular dystrophy. And are you still there? Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that he pointed out, because he was talking specifically about the Latimer case, he said that if this case is treated any differently, then it... it it creates a whole different class of people that disabled uh, Canadians do not have the same rights. They may have more rights or less rights. They do not have the same rights as every other Canadian because suddenly um, the, the causing of death of a disabled person is somehow different than the causing of death of a, of a uh, fully 100% uh, yeah, disabled person. Yeah, that, that's an argument that we've certainly heard, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that it's a valid argument, is mm -hmm. it? I mean, supposing his daughter had not been severely handicapped and had not been facing, had not suffered through, through what, 12 or 13 years of life and was facing a series of what we were told were going to be increasingly painful operations just to keep her alive, supposing she'd been a perfectly healthy child and he had eliminated her life. I mean, does anyone among us think that those two actions would be the same? No, but I, I, one thing I would acknowledge is that the disabled community are the ones who are in, in the spot. They can, they're much more sensitive to this than I am, so I would take what they say very seriously. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And there are precedents in history where uh, euthanasia has been used in relation to mental illness, for instance, uh, not so long ago, 50 years ago, uh, you know, that if you were mentally disabled in certain countries, you were killed. And I don't see disability, per se, as being the issue in this case. And I don't think this case is really uh, what, what the disabled community would be uh, up in arms about. 
it's more the representation of this as being the thin edge of a wedge. Yeah, yeah, right. that's certainly what we're hearing well, from them. Yeah. That's constantly an argument whenever you talk about euthanasia, and all comes down to, as Jeff is so, so much likes to say, who, who do you trust? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Thanks for the call today, Tom. Okay, thank Bye-bye. Well, it, it, is this, because it certainly has been portrayed as an issue about disability, because his daughter was disabled, but uh, would either of you disagree with the idea that, that perhaps this is less about her disability than it is about his feeling that her quality of life simply was not going to be there, that he could not, in good conscience as a loving father, allow his daughter to be subjected to the kind of pain that she had lived with and in fact he was told from what I read he was told by the doctors that not only was it going to continue it was going to get worse mm -hmm. it's a case about pain from my end of, of it it's a case about pain and if you're told that your kid is going to be in extraordinary pain the rest of their short life are you going to do something about it I think there are a lot of people who might argue that the pain we're talking about is Latimer's his, his self his own pain mm -hmm. and uh, that changes the, the the scenario dramatically because suddenly it turns from one of altruism to self-interest. But obviously... But the, does it make it any less justifiable? That's obviously the, the jury, though, didn't think it was his pain. The jury believed well, that he was concerned certainly. about his daughter's pain. And, I, and there's always cases where you hear of a, of a spouse who, who helps the other one pass on quicker mm -hmm. because they're at a point in life or something's wrong with them or whatever. And uh, if we're going to treat these kind of people the same way as we treat a Bernardo or something, there's something seriously wrong with our justice system. And... and I just can't agree with Tom that everybody should be treated the same under the law, and the law is just above morality and above everything else. I don't buy that. Guys, I want to change the focus, if, if we can, here. There's a story we talked about briefly earlier today uh, about the, uh, the government uh, program, and it's a, it's a bit of a crackdown now on places that serve alcohol to people. Uh, the idea being that if you serve the last drink to someone who goes out Absurd. and then gets into trouble uh, <laughs> as a result of that, that you are being, and in fact they are being held accountable across the province. Uh, Bob had the one-word response to that absurd. Jeff, do you differ with that? Uh, the only thing I'm not sure about is that, it's, uh, to my knowledge, that's been the law as long as I've been practicing. Section 53 of the Liquor Licensing Act says that if you, uh, can, if you serve somebody who is apparently drunk and uh, they go out and cause damage, then you're responsible. And I remember defending lots of bars who were sued uh, in drunk driving cases successfully. Um, now, uh, how do you, how did you defend them by by saying that the, he was not or she was not noticeably drunk? Is yeah. that the defense? Yep. Mm -hmm. And and it's quite unsatisfactory. Obviously, you know, it's such a subjective thing. One thing that I don't understand is why we don't have mandatory breathalyzers all over the place. Uh, you know, I've got one in my well, car. This, this yeah. is again that's redistributive justice. You know, we're 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 saying that society is guilty instead of holding the individual responsible. I think uh, certainly. In rare cases, again, you could make a case where a certain bartender might have been very negligent in his duty, where it was obvious he was serving someone yeah. in a real bad case. That would be as rare, rare as the Latimer case. Mm -hmm. But in the general, just to write a rule and say, okay, this guy had his last drink at your establishment and you're responsible, you may never have seen the guy. He may have been to five bars before yours. Um, he looks perfectly okay. Alcoholics can, can consume an incredible amount of alcohol without showing a sign of, mm -hmm. uh, of being intoxicated. And well, the uh, other thing, of course, is that your degree of intoxication increases for about an hour after your last drink, so you could leave a place under your own power an hour later be quite yeah, oh, sure. paralytic. Yeah, so, yeah. But, you know, and, and as soon as we start wavering away from the concept that the individual is responsible for his own action, well, then anything goes. We're back into anarchy. We've got uh, caller Rob. You, you wanted to comment on this, Rob? Well, I did. I, uh, I, I wanted the uh, program, if it could, to, uh, to focus on this issue because... Mm -hmm. Uh, basically, like what the government is asking, uh, you know, the bar owners and the, and the servers to do is is to enforce 
like they're they're asking people on minimum wage, the servers, to enforce the police laws that they have, and and how can a third party be responsible for for an individual who's, um, you know, getting drunk and uh, and then goes out and does something stupid? Well, you know, whose fault is that except for the guy who did the drinking? And uh, I think it's ludicrous that the uh, the government is making it a responsibility of the bar owners and the servers to enforce their laws which they are lax to do. Uh, Jeff, I, you mentioned that you've defended a lot of people on this. Do you think you should have had to defend them? Should someone in a situation like this have to go to court and prove that, gee, it wasn't my fault? I mean, it's still, it seems to me, in a sense, it's the presumption of, of, of guilt rather than the presumption of innocence. It's kind of like, well, you might be guilty, so you're going to have to go to court, you're going to have to get a lawyer, you're going to have to defend this thing. When on the face of it, as, as Bob said, and I agree with him, I think it's absurd. Yeah, well, I guess uh, to some extent, I, I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about this lately, but I'm, I'm happy to take the contrary position <laughs> as I sometimes do to see, how, see where that takes Just us. To be that way. In fact, one of, these, one of these days, we should have a show where I have to argue the right side and Bob has to now argue the left be, side. That would be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'd but, like to hear that one. But uh, on this issue, I guess the first thing is you should be aware that the person who's drunk is still primarily responsible. Uh, they are on the hook first. The only question is, is anybody else also responsible? And the issue often in particularly serious injury cases is, where's the money? You're trying to find insurance proceeds. Exactly. And uh, that's how you tap in the bar and you say, well, the... So it's arbitrary. It's got nothing to do. Well, it, it is arbitrary in that respect, except that I guess... It raises a larger social issue, and that is, if you see somebody in your community who has gone beyond uh, uh, the ability to reason, and that's what, a, by, in law, a drunk person is, they mm -hmm. can't make decisions anymore, should somebody else step in to the gap, and if so, who should it be? But, uh, but can, I, can I interrupt Yeah, here? sure, sure. Okay, well, basically, like, I'll give you a true case history of... of of the uh to prove that what jeff is saying is not true in um in uh, i believe it was peterborough they had a uh, an o'toole's there had a regular customer who was uh who got too loaded so what they did was they they sent a, a doorman home with the guy yeah, yeah threw the keys on the kitchen table after they had brought him home and said there now go and sleep it off then doorman drove himself back to the bar. The guy woke up about two hours later, decided he was hungry, got in his car, drove through a stop sign, and even though the bar went to the extraordinary effort of driving the guy home and throwing his keys on the table, making sure that he wasn't going to drive, the bar was still held responsible, and they ended up uh, having that like a million dollar fine or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was ridiculous. And that was, a, that was a case that was uh, right out of the LCBO annals. Well, in fact, the other thing you should be aware of is that this doesn't just apply to bars, it applies to everybody. If you have a party in your house and somebody goes home drunk, you're equally responsible as the bar would be if they let them go home drunk. Exactly. Can you give us some context as to how we got there? Because that, to me, is just about as absurd as it gets. You have a party at your home. Uh, you could conceivably have, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 people there. Uh, presumably, they are your friends and acquaintances. Presumably, you don't make a habit of... Uh, of second-guessing their, you know, their abilities to make decisions for themselves, and yet you're going to be held responsible. Yeah, well, I, I, it's before my time, but uh, I, I would expect the rationale was this, that if you see somebody who looks like they shouldn't be driving a car, you should stop them. So what are you supposed to do? That's, well, that's, again, that's a very rare case, like I said, where there's a very extraordinarily bad situation where a person could be held responsible for making that situation worse. But, uh, you know, just to say that... Uh, 
a person's responsible for someone's actions after they leave their home. You said it already, Jeff. It was because of that's where the money is. And, and, oh, yeah. And so why not just make Labatt's guilty or make Molson Breweries guilty? I mean, you can carry it right down. Or, or, well. or, or sue the, fire, the tire manu manufacturers of the car that the guy drove. I mean, you could carry this principle on and on, and, and well, what, it's what, retributive justice. But what about well, the argument, Jeff, that, you know, you, you, you've got a person in your home, and you say you're supposed to stop him, and you say, you know, you shouldn't be driving home, give me your keys, and he says, no. No, I'm not going to. You want him, you'll have to take him from me. That's right. So is your responsibility then to assault that individual to get the keys to prevent him from leaving? Uh, you're not allowed to assault them. Uh, you have to call the police, and they can... Uh, they can assault my What if the person's not intoxicated but is clearly incapable of reason on the basis of maybe some handicap or something? Are you under the same obligation? Well, if, the, if they are uh, incapable of reason, they, they're not allowed to drive. And if it looks like they're going to get in a car, it's the same deal. But who's going to enforce that? Who's, who's responsible if I see somebody get in a car and I think that they're too handicapped to drive that car? Do I have to stop them? Or am no, I, I going to be held responsible if somebody... Oh, I know. As, as a question of how far we go again as a community to be responsible for other people, there's also that case, you want to talk about horror story cases, uh, a few years ago where the fellow uh, jumped off the roof of the house uh, into the swimming pool. <laughs> the swimming pool, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, successfully sued the uh, the owners of the house, saying, how could you let me jump off the roof, you know? Well, that uh, just shows you how ludicrous the system is when, when third parties are held responsible for, for other individual actions. And that's why, you know, that's why the, the law's got to be changed. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. Now, the other thing about it is that, uh, I think I've said this before on this program, there's a uh, legal maxim, a legal saying, which is that hard cases make bad law. And that is that if you've got a very sympathetic fact situation, judges will strain to try and, and uh, make things work out. And the money that you mentioned, the, the million dollars earlier, the money in all these cases goes to injured people. That's where it ends up. And so what happens is if you've got a judge who's dealing with a quadriplegia case, for instance, a person is uh, you know, going to be confined the rest of their life, the damages they would assess in a case like that would be around $6 million. Most people don't have $6 million of car insurance. So what happens is the judge is looking for other sources of money. Yeah, and but they, is, but they, but is the, that fair? Well, exactly. And, yeah, and, and the whole point is, though, that, that the people that uh, um, you know, are, going, <clears throat> are going after the money aren't and like see the problem is once you get charged like you're guilty until you prove yourself innocent that's the way our justice system works so i mean even though a server or a bar owner may <clears throat> may or may not um you know have done the right or the wrong thing they still have to spend bundles of money yeah. to protect themselves yeah exactly oh yeah yeah thanks for the call today rob you're welcome it's good to hear from you i want to come back to that for a second that thing about you finding the money why don't they just go to you know go to the banks go to somebody who's making lots of profits and i would have given the money i would have thought the taxpayer i mean well, well, well you yeah, sure well, hey wait a minute yeah. <laughs> we're not starting the left or right switch already <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no but that would be more consistent with the thinking of the courts uh, to, to single to single out of one party out of the rest of so-called society um that's just treating someone unequally before the law. Well, and that's where the trend, but again, it's a two-edged sword in a sense. That's where the trend for no-fault auto insurance comes from, to say that you end up with these cases where um, judges are straining to find money for a severely injured person, and they end up making decisions about responsibility that aren't consistent with what you or I would think is but rational. Is, but is that the judge's responsibility, to find money for an, for an injured individual? No, no, but I think it's human nature. That is, they're not supposed to do it, but I think that uh, an honest judge would tell you it's awfully compelling if you've got a person in there and they're looking at a horrible life the rest of their life. They didn't do anything wrong. They got smacked by a drunk driver. Um, so it's a question of what quality of life are you going to provide to them? Well, here's the tools I have. 
I can look to these people here and find them, if I find them to be at all responsible, then there's another million bucks there. Uh, we had that other case in London a few years ago where the fellow uh, fell off the, um, uh, the staircase. Uh, it was having a fight, and uh, the uh, railing gave way, and he fell down and sued the city successfully mm -hmm. and said, you know, that the standards for the railing weren't adequate. It hadn't been inspected adequately. That's a pretty far reach away from the fact these guys were in a consensual fight. You know, that's what really started things. But he ended up, uh, I think, a paraplegic. So, again, you've got a paraplegic sitting there in your courtroom, and it's a question of what's his quality of life going to be? How am I going to deal with this? Well, I'm a judge. You certainly have to sympathize with a victim l like the case you would just describe right now, a paraplegic who, through no fault of his own, has found himself in this situation. Yeah, but it was a fault. He was, uh, he was in a fight. You're not supposed to fall. No, I'm not, case. I'm not referring to a fight. I'm referring to but the drunk, a, driver, a drunk driver. driver. Oh, sorry. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and through no fault of his own is, is in this situation. And to me, this again is where our whole social, social welfare system is so backwards. And this is the kind of person I'm talking about that I would view as the last recourse uh, system that government should help mm -hmm. and aim their help at. This kind of a person, not to all the, you know, this whole universal system we have, everyone helping everyone. And for that reason, we don't have money left for these kind of people. So what do they do? They start making up just whimsical laws. Okay, bar owners, the last bar owner that this guy saw. Never, what about the first three guys? Mm -hmm. What if the guy went to four bars that night and he did most of his drinking in bar number two? That guy gets off. It's kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like musical chairs, isn't yeah. it? You know, the last guy to sit down, there's no chair, so you're it. <laughs> well, th yeah, it, in a sense. But also remember that this is going to come before a judge, and they're going to have to persuade uh, the, uh, the judge that there was evidence that this guy was visibly drunk. They're going to have to show what the bar's procedures were for, for trying to deal with this kind of thing. And, and I don't think anybody would say there's anything wrong with a bar... Uh, taking some precautions to try and make sure they're not serving no, all No, but as our, as our caller Rob said, though, it's guilt, you're guilty unless you're proven innocent. Not you, law. Well, you, but, uh, not, but in, in, in fact you do. You've got to hire a lawyer. You've got to pay all the money. Oh, well, you're, you're going to spend a ton of money, although in this case it's all, it's all insurance companies' money, and it's all insurance companies paying for the lawyers, and insurance companies are making a good, healthy profit these days. <laughs> this is Talk of the Town on 1290 CJBK, left, right, and center with Jeff Schlemmer and Robert Metz, and we'll return right after this. Crazy left, time. right, and center with Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and uh, we've got Tom with us. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. How are you, gentlemen? Fine, thanks. Um, I'm sick and tired of looking to the government for everything. The, this left wing gobbledygook of, of other people of not taking responsibility for your own actions and depending on others to to look after you and to babysit you when you've had a couple of cocktails is, is absurd uh, i read the article in the paper this morning and speaking as a server people get remarkably offended mm -hmm. if you even oh, yeah, suggest sure, yeah. yeah suggest that they perhaps have had enough yeah and i mean i i don't work in a you know in a in a rougher bar i work at a you know at a family restaurant and if you even question or, you know, you know, uh, if four guys are there and, you know, who's driving? And the, they'll look at each other, well, all four of us are. Yeah. And, and, and they become disgruntled that you'd even suggest. And, and then to put the, put the onus back on me making five ninety five an hour yeah. to, to be responsible for these and, adults. And there goes your tip, too, right? And there goes your tip. <laughs> and really, you know, I mean, that's, and, yeah. and really, that's the least of it. Yeah. I'm actually, you know, and I mean, I'm as, I'm as, uh, as, as I don't want to say guilty, but I'm as guilty as anybody. Where I, I I'll bet you in my life I've had a couple of beers and and driven when I shouldn't have. But mm -hmm. I've you know we all learn as we go along in life yeah. that you don't do that. Yeah. But so at some point, yes, yeah, I understand I would have been responsible had I hit somebody at that point. You know when it, yeah. when, when I had chosen to make that. Yeah, because it was your choice. That's right. It, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the server's responsibility. They are I mean, too. if I was falling down drunk and they were serving me. 
yeah, point the finger at them, but you can't tell. You yeah. really can't tell. I understand what you're saying, and, and you're right about that stuff. But I, just to make it clear, the, the person is still on the hook. Like, their insurance is gone, their life is ruined. That's a given. Um, but, I think but why the ruin, why ruin life, somebody oh, who's just trying to do their job? Wait a minute, though. Their life is not destroyed. Well, it? if they own a house, it's gone. If they have any money, it's gone. Like that, oh, That's all gone. That's well, what about this guy that just the other day? This fellow was sentenced to 18 months of house arrest, and he was he was falling down drunk driving his car or driving his truck, went through a stop sign, and killed a guy. And he got 18 months. No, no, but I'm talking about what happens civilly. Civilly, if you have any money, it's all gone. Like, it will all go to the uh, victim. Um, so from a financial standpoint, they're, they're certainly responsible. The problem is, as they say, if you've got somebody whose damages are millions of dollars and you've only got a million insurance, uh, where do you get the extra money for they, the they attack And the I'm not defending the poor, it. The poor restaurant owner. Yeah, no, I, and I'm not, I'm not defending that. I'm just telling you the way I think that they rationalize it. Uh, the other thing, of course, is that they don't sue the server. It's the bar that gets sued. and they're The out server does get sued as well. Yeah, but you're insured. What happens is that this, this all works itself out between insurance companies. And to say, again, I'm not defending it, and I agree with you, it's extremely difficult to say, I don't understand where we have breathalyzer technology readily available, why bars aren't all required to have them. Uh, you know, we've talked about how it wouldn't cost that much more to put them in cars. Mm. Well, the most cars bars do not have Why them? do bars not have them? Because then uh, uh, people would uh, drink enough to, to challenge the bar system to say, ha okay, uh, now I'm yeah. drunk. Yeah. Yeah. Because they used to have the, those in some bars, and guys would drink. Yeah. And I mean... And I, I would, you know, I'm, I'm 36, but I remember when I was 24, 25, I never did it, but friends of mine did it, where they'd have a few beers just to see if they could make the thing light up. Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you're talking <laughs> about. Tom, thanks for the call today. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, and Bob's up. Hi, Bob. Yeah, hi, uh, Joe. Jim, I was just uh, wanted to make a, another call here because I took exception to uh, what Jeff Schlemmer uh, said, uh, and it's basically the attitude that the left always has, and that is uh, his comment about, well, it's just a, it's amongst the insurance companies, and they got lots of money, so it's okay if you ding them. And that's, no, we're paying the premiums. Pardon? You and I are paying those premiums. No, but you're what you, you're saying basically, and and uh, the the people on the left, it seems whether even if it's a, a case of or an issue of taxation, oh well, the rich they got lots of money, so it's okay to tax them more. But in this case, you said, um, you know, it's it, it's just insurance companies anyway, so let them pay the bills. They got lots of money, and uh, you know because because of that, then it's okay for the insurance companies to pay all this money out. But the problem is that everybody's premiums are going up because these because of the because of the costs involved. But the other thing is that, uh, that you know the government uh, is really talking out of both sides of their mouth on this issue because number one, they want all the revenues generated by the booze industry, but uh, they don't want the responsibility for it. Now, if they really wanted to get serious about drinking and driving, all they would have to do is put a, a cruiser on the parking lot entrance of every bar and nightclub in in uh, in the province and and put breathalyzer tests on everybody coming in and out of those for a week, and your whole bar industry and booze business would be uh, basically... Uh, it would be finished, and the government. But see, the government doesn't want to do that because they want all the billions of dollars generated by the booze industry. So, well, I agree with you, no question about that. And as far as the first point on premiums, you're absolutely right. Although premiums have not gone up, auto insurance premiums have not gone up in the last few years. But you're right; we're all paying for this stuff. And you're also right that the government are shirking the responsibility and handing it over to servers. 
You know, and it's not the server's responsibility. We all agree drunk driving is a bad thing, and we should all be doing something about it. I have to leave it there, Bob. Appreciate your call. Thank you, sir. And we'll be right back with more on Talk of the Town. A couple minutes left, but we've got James on the line. Good morning, sir. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, thanks. Um, I saw, actually, a show about a couple months ago. It was on A&E, and it was relatively the same thing. It had, uh, some guy had driven around um, the barriers at uh, a train crossing. Yeah. And was struck and badly injured. And he ended up successfully suing the railroad and the city for millions of dollars because he was in a rush and he wanted to drive around the barriers to get through. And again, I look at something like that, relating it to what you guys are talking about, and I just don't think people are taking responsibility for their own actions. I really don't. I just think that's, um, I think no matter what you do, if you go out to a tavern or something like that, I think that if, um, if you know you've been drinking, and uh, you leave and you drive. I think you're taking that responsibility into your own hands. It should be left up to you. Exactly. It's, and um, and to, to place blame on somebody else or even partial blame on somebody else, you've made that decision to do it, and you have to live with responsibility. And if it comes when you guys were talking about money, if it comes to taking your house, your car, and making you pay for the rest of your life, then that's the that's chance you take. They and do. trying to get money from somebody else is, uh, I don't think, is right. They do, and to me it's a question of balancing the... Like, that's right. It's a given that the guy who drove drunk gets no sympathy from nobody. Right. That's a given. The question is, the one who gets smashed into, if they have injuries that are going to cost more than than they can get from the bad guy, you know, where does that come from? As Bob had mentioned, the system may have a role. Jim, I have to go. i got another call on my work. Thanks for the call. (laughs) But, but, Jeff, and just we've got 30 seconds left here, but, but still, I mean... Why the bar owners? Why not? Why not the people who make the liquor, or the people who make the make the glasses that the liquor's served in, or the people who make the ice that's put in the glass? I mean, it's it's a crapshoot, isn't it? Is it well, pick one. Pick whoever's got some money. Let's get them. I've heard from other lawyers too that judges are constantly. This is a routine thing that they're awarding uh, monies and and holding third parties responsible on a constant basis, just almost as an act of welfare. They're not really playing the role of. Uh, what I would regard a, a strict judge in determining guilt, innocence, responsibility, and liability. Um, they're spreading the liability in, in, in what I would call a very socialistic manner. Yeah, and it's not the law. They do it, they do it as a matter of uh, trying to find that money. Yeah, and I'm wondering how they get they away with it. That should be against they're the judges. law. They're judges. Well, yeah. yeah, they're above the law, aren't they? Right. Yeah. Well, that's what we're almost saying. Yeah, cough, cough, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you again for making a very lively uh, program. It's always a pleasure to have you here. And uh, Robert Metz and Jeff Schlemmer will be joining us again next Wednesday uh, after the 11 o'clock news with Ms. Don Kelly the next edition of Left, Right, and Center. And if you have a topic that you'd like to hear our two guests address and discuss on the program, please feel free to drop us a line and let us know what that topic might be, and we'll do our very best to get it out there for you. Uh, For Jeff and Bob and Ryan and Don, it's Jim Chapman saying thank you so much for being part of the program today. I've enjoyed it. Hope you have too. Don't forget about the book Under the Whirlwind by Ed and Jereen Verkaik, and they're at uh, Chapters this Friday night at 7 o'clock. It really is a great book, and I I hardly recommend it. It's a great Christmas gift. Where was I, Ryan? Have I said goodbye yet? No, I haven't. So take care of each other. Mind how you go. And we will see you tomorrow for the next edition of Talk of the Town. Bye-bye.